And welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. Um, we start with um, one of the biggest D-bags in all of music. Well, maybe not the biggest, but today's news, our first story is going to be about how Billy Corgan says that Soundgarden, among a lot of other 90s acts, are only back to make money, um, which is purely an assumption on Billy Corgan's part. And we know over the years, Billy Corgan's never put his foot in his mouth before in the public eye. So um, the reason I chose the story is mostly just to point out how much I can't stand when artists think they're above everything, especially considering he focuses on 90s artists that are coming back after being gone for so long, when he himself was in a 90s band and he's coming back after not playing for so long, and is claiming of others but not himself, and just assuming that's what they're in, in it for. That's going to be a running theme, I think, for the rest of this podcast, this hypocrisy, and coming from both listeners as well as artists. Yeah. Well, it, I never liked Smashing Pumpkins either. They did like one or two good songs. I, I don't think his music is strong enough for him to be able to spout anything. Well, I won't, I won't disagree that they're not influential because Billy Corgan is a great lyricist and some of their musics do stand out. He, he, he definitely can write lyrics, but as a band, I was never really a huge fan. But I won't deny their impact on music. However, I, will deny, I won't deny how he's just been a bigger and bigger pain and over we, the years. But if we're going to compare Smashing Pumpkins to Soundgarden, oh, yes, I'm, I'm going to pick Soundgarden. Oh, Soundgarden's much better. I enjoyed them a lot more. And I had no then. idea they and were coming back out. Yeah, they have a new record coming out at the end of this year, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Or early next year. Well, it has nothing to do with their music. And I think the only issue that I have with his statements is just the fact that there's no proof. There's no proof to that effect. He cannot substantiate his claims that 90s bands are surely doing getting back together for the money. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's wrong. It's wrong for him to say that. Yeah, well, it, it's. Uh, I've said this before a while back. I don't think that the opinions of musicians really matter outside of their own particular music. This That's is. True. He, he really is just shooting his mouth. Like Dixie Chicks. They really shouldn't have ta- said anything about Bush when they got through that whole big thing because that's not their music. That's, that's their opinion. And they should not have done anything about that. And this is the same sort of deal. They should not be. Ma- he should not be mouthing off about stuff that truly doesn't. It doesn't affect him. Of course, it, it has nothing to do with him. It's not his he music. Focus it's not on his own stuff. And he's not talking about his fans. Yeah, it's not talking about his sound. It's not talking about you know there's a problem in the band or something like that. Yeah. Then he can start mouthing mouthing off about somebody else. The, the drummer's pissing him off or something stupid like that. But this this is basically him him insulting. Other musicians, and that's... It's not like they did something wrong to yeah, deserve this I, sort I, of I just treatment. don't like people talking out of their behinds. It's just not very couth. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like, in the article it says that, you know, they're only coming back to make money playing their old albums. Um, as I recall, when someone's a fan of a band and they have a long history, they want to hear old stuff because they're longtime fans. That's no different than any other band. They just have, have been vacant for a while. And they may not have their new album yet. When Blink-182 made their comeback, it was only like a five-year gap or whatever. They went on tour before the new album was out. They didn't have any new songs. They just played the old ones because they wanted to get back out there, practice, be in front of fans, get that energy. And get the hype back up. And, you know, set, uh, reinvigorate their fan base so that they can, you know... Properly market and sell their albums. And there's nothing the, the wrong with that. The most likely scenario is that they're catering to old fans. I'm not going to deny that, that the irony here is that he, he could be right about some of them. He Maybe. just cannot substantiate that claim. Because well, he has no proof. Some of them 
could be doing it for the money, but it's like who knows? You know, honestly. I feel I feel like going out of my way and buying the album for Soundgarden and like Pavement and a couple other bands that seem to be coming back out just to like stick it to them. Be like, no, no, here I'm supporting them in spite right. of you. And because maybe, those maybe, albums will probably actually be good too, especially Soundgarden. Like uh, I was a big fan of theirs, and Chris Corg- uh, Chris Cornell has been making solo music that was kind of in the vein of. Soundgarden for years, and he's still a talented musician. One of yeah. one of the most talented musicians to play in the nineties. I mean, this is not my personal taste, but I don't know. The, it comes right down to it. This is going to come up later in the podcast. Is uh, I guess the question is when a band stops for ten years or so, and then starts making the same exact music that they started at the time, such as the nineties. Question is: Is that a positive thing or a negative thing? Yeah. Uh, and most of that's purely opinion. It's purely opinion, exactly. Well, they want to do it, they can. I don't know, I mean, just because they're not pushing the boundaries of music as we know it, that's not the be all It depends upon the, like. the quality of the sound, the, the initial sound for its time and, and how they evolved it. If they, even if they didn't evolve it, if something was solid to begin with, if it was a great... Yeah, you if they were good at... to begin with, you're not going to become stinky... I mean, we're looking at other bands doing the same stuff over and over and over again. Aerosmith. It was great to begin with. It's not like it's gone that far downhill. They, they're still making the same awesome noise. Yeah, they made enough they made enough of an impact on society, I guess. And Kiss. Kiss is making the same stuff over and over again. I just don't think it was strong to begin with. Yeah, that's true. It, it's You have to rate their entire discography <laughs> yeah. in the end. What kills me about what Billy Corgan said was it's just... If Soundgarden had been playing for years, like they got back, say they got back together two years ago and they've been playing for the last three years or two years without any working on a new album, okay, then there might be some validity to the statement. But the fact that they have a new album coming out soon? No, they're, they're plugging their album and that is what They released the greatest hits recently with a couple of new tracks and they're working on a new album. So what he says is almost completely invalid, at least when applying to Soundgarden. I hate greatest hits albums though. Well, yeah. I really don't like that. I feel like if you're going to do a Greatest Hits, you should actually just re-record all of them. Well, well the thing with the Greatest Hits... I also hits, think the Greatest Hits, enough time should have passed, like, a really substantial amount of time. Like, at least minimally, like, six or seven albums to begin with. Yeah, like, classic classic rock, I think, honestly. And classic rock is almost universally... I mean, friend, it's all subjective, but almost universally considered to have begun prior well, 1987 or something like that. 25 years prior to today. Oh, I mean, we're getting a little sidetracked, but Greatest Hits also exists because it's it's a way to build up hype for a band coming out with a new album. They recorded a couple of tracks and they want to get the hype up, so they released this Greatest Hits. Yeah, well, no, it's just I mean, that's it's a, a way for a band it. to make more money, and they they need that to you know bank their ability to make new albums, especially in the current economy, the current landscape of music recording in general. A lot of musicians don't make a lot of money from bands that should that really like Soundgarden did not make a lot of money by comparison to the, what. What uh, Lady Gaga and Katy Perry are making oh, yeah. nowadays. Well, also, so, that's the thing. Pop artists do it from the start. Yeah. Yeah. These guys wait. They, they, they have they, to. They, have, they wait until they absolutely have to. Yeah. And then they go back to and doing they, what they do best. And it's, it's harder for them to get bankrolled in the studio. Yeah. That's why they... It, and it's okay. I'm not saying it's a great thing to do. And I'm saying, in this case, greatest hits are specifically because people want to support a band. And it's great. And it works that way. Alright, next story. Next story is a very important story to me, not because of who it's about, but because of what it's about. Um, Only a few days ago, uh, the Russian pop rock weird band, 
Pussy, uh, Pussy Riot was sentenced to two years in prison. And now the Russian police are actually looking for the rest of the band. Um, the three of the individuals who were arrested, um, who I can't pronounce their names at all. Give me a little help, Steve. Or, or, or Matt. I, I like right here. How do you say those? It's tough to, to, to pronounce most Russian names. but Miss um... Tolokonikova, Miss Alyokhina, and Miss Samusevchi. Sevich. Savage. Okay. They are um, three of... Okay. (laughs) They're three of the seven, eight, depending upon who you ask, members of the Pussy Riot band. They had recently done back in, I believe it was March, April, uh, done a a show at a uh, religious cathedral in Russia, and they did there a... Punk prayer urging the Virgin Mary to get rid of Putin, uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin, President of Russia. They did that. It's it was a political sound. It was a political event. They they were formed back in August 2011 as a political group. I have to point out something about this article that's really funny to me. That I'm assuming this is official words used from Russia, but. It says they were convicted of hooliganism motivated by religious hatred. Yes. There is no religious hatred here. They're no, begging, no, no, no. They're, I'll explain it. But I'm saying that the way it's worded, it just doesn't make sense because they're begging a religious figure that they honor to get rid of someone they don't like. No, no, no. Here's, here. yeah. That's in support of the religion. Wait, wait, wait listen oh, to this. convoluted. First of all, hooliganism. Hooliganism is a crime that really is only punishable in Russia. <laughs> it's basically being outspoken... In what they call a detrimental manner. It's protesting. In its, in its core, it's considered protest. Any sort of protesting can be uh, defined as hooliganism. You know that that thing that America defends in the yeah. first... To, 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 the first Bill of Rights. Uh, 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 Occupy Wall Street. Occupy America. This that That is exactly what we're talking about. This is just an example proving... Russia is not a first world country. That's that's exactly what this proves. They're taking what not just the United States but every first world country believes is the first right of their citizens. And that is public discord. The ability to speak. The ability to create. Our music in the United States, in Europe, in in uh, even China, which is the, the, with their severe communism... They still allow other things, um, but especially in the first world countries, Japan, uh, Australia, the United States, Canada, even Mexico, uh, England, France, Germany, Ukraine. These places where we believe that our citizens can speak, can create something that may not be a party line. And Putin spat all over that. Publicly, he's announcing he doesn't believe that they should have been arrested or confined or everything like that. Meanwhile, the the police are now looking for the rest of the band members to arrest them, supposedly, or minimally start questioning them and seeing if this the rest of the individuals can be arrested and put into jail for two years. You know, I find it ironic that some of the best Russian music actually occurred in Tsarist Russia, more so than in communist Russia. I don't know. I just like find I said, that to be a the funny... The thing that I was focusing on that sentence that I read was not so much the hooliganism part, because I get that. 
It's the the fact that they're claiming that someone praying to a religious figure for help is religious hatred. And that's just proving that's that's the next part. It's there's uh, Putin has been trying to uh, equate him with Mother Russia and with Church Russia, and that's what's so. It makes me. There's no other way to describe it. They're just bonkers, crazy, that they're denying this religious. Fi- they're considering praying to a religious figure as being religious hatred. How does that make sense? That's like saying going. You're going to your rabbi and asking for help. But you're denouncing the Jewish religion. Like, how, I, it just doesn't make sense. And it's just so bizarre. Well, it wasn't even like they, they were doing hate music. That's what I'm saying. So it that's was, why it's it so bizarre. It wasn't in fact hate music. It was anti-party line music. No, they're, they're looking for an excuse yeah, for this. Yeah, I, I know. I and just think very simply, you should be able to create whatever you want, no matter what, wherever in the world. And, it just, and I don't think there's any room for that kind of policy of Putin's in modern society. It's in the 21st century. And this is this is why I'm so happy we have we, we live in the United States. I'm so happy we have this sort of because you can you can love or hate our presidents or our representatives or the <laughs> congressmen or anything like that, but you get to say if you love or hate them, and you get to They're, as long as you don't hurt anybody, you get to do what the hell you want. There the might States. be a backlash, but it will never endanger your rights. The backlash it could be social, it could be the backlash societal. will usually be only from other people, other yeah. citizens who right, disagree. Right. It's so it's either. Uh, Social or uh, societal. Yeah. The government can't do anything about it. Right. And that's, uh, that's a value. The, they were put in front of a judge that is a hardliner that really goes out of his way to stop dissidents. Because this is a guy who maybe once in his entire career has not gone, all right, you said something bad about the government, go to jail. Maybe once in his life he didn't say that. But this is a judge that was well-known, and they knew he was going to go and put these people in jail. And all they did was express themselves. And now they're looking for the other individuals. And this is, this is really just musically bad. Socially, this is just terrible. This is just horrible. It's getting worse, I'll tell you, because I once heard a poll that... It wasn't too long ago, this poll, but it basically uh, implied that there's a good portion of Eastern Russia, you know, the, the Far East out there, which, when asked whether they support Putin or whether they don't, it's very much just, meh. <laughs> <laughs> you know me wrong, I'm not, I'm not going to say it. It's just a different value. I, I think, it, as hard as it is to believe in modern society, some, the internet has not solved everything. It, you cannot get every <laughs> single opinion to every corner of the world. Well, you problem. said the internet solved something. <laughs> well, the problem well, with the, yeah. well, the problem with the internet is that it can, for as much good as it does, it does equal parts bad, and that's the biggest problem about it. Because it's still an immature tool. It, the, 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 the community that uses it as a whole has not grown up yet. You know, there are people who have. Yes, there's but certain it's an organizations and certain... And there are more pro- there's more proof of that in the video game community than anywhere else. You know, people getting down on feminists when there's nothing wrong with believing in feminine rights within gaming and within how they're depicted in video games and that kind of stuff. But a lot of men get down on them because it's such an immature genre of media still. Yeah, sure. and i got to say that this... That- while we decried uh, a few minutes ago Billy about how he was talking outside of his realm, Pussy Riot was originally designed as a feminist, anti-Putin movement. That they're, they're, they, also, they always spoke in these the, terms. But the, also, the difference is they're not, they're not, 
They're not claiming Putin did things he didn't. They're speaking with just the conviction. They want him out. Yeah. Whereas Billy Corgan is putting words in the mouth of other people. Yeah. They're distinctly different. Distinctly different. And not only that, but there's been demonstrations for this band uh, across the globe now. Oh, supporting it, it, them uh, and, all and over wanting Europe. them to be freed. Uh, the European Union is actually starting to you know, uh, yell at Russia. And yeah. United States is starting to put some pressure on the Russians. Uh, to review to review this case to really see where this this travesty of justice has gone through, uh, people around the world are starting to show support, including people Madonna, Bjork, and most importantly, probably the biggest swinger, Paul McCartney. Yeah, like they're going out and they're like, we have to help these people. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you're going to talk about someone who really understands what political music is, you're talking about Paul McCartney. Yeah, he knows what he's talking about. And he's played in the USSR back when it was communist Russia. Uh-huh. Um, so like he, he knows where they're coming from. And to see someone like that actually going out of his way to try to help this fledgling group uh, makes me hopeful that something's going to that, – that, that this will not stand. Yeah, just, just, just to wrap this up because I don't want to um, – you know, it, it's not 100% about – Politics, international politics, right. necessarily. This is really about the future of art. Oh, yes, absolutely. that's that is what this that's that is the pertinence to this uh, podcast right here. No, I agree. And uh, to move on, um, uh, um, well, first of all, just to wrap up, though, I think this story will de- will eventually be resolved, and I think in the long term, it's going to end up giving Pussy Riot an even bigger career than they had. I think that they will get a lot of support from our country, especially. If they come here and release music, I think that they will definitely find a fame that they might not have found because of this. But I think that if they persevere, they will find a happy ending in this. One thing they're going to find is, and it's already starting, they're going to get a huge fan base in Germany Absolutely. and Great Britain yeah. where they eat this sort of uh, music up and where yeah. they eat these stories up. Yeah. So moving on to our... Album, album review of the week. Um, this week, it's All American Rejects' new album, the Ki- uh, Kids in the Street, which uh, was definitely uh, a unique listening experience, I think, for all of us this week. Um, I, we went into it with similarities to um, uh, All American Rejects' old music sounding more like Eve 6. And since we did Eve 6 last week, John had the idea to do this album yeah, this week. I, we chose it because I said uh, I said to Steve that uh, if Eve 6 hadn't a stop making music, they would have evolved into the All-American Rejects. Which uh, automatically made me expect Eve 6. I mean, it's just, you know, the way my brain went. You were expecting 90s music. But yeah, also, you, you did recognize... Extent. Perhaps maybe a little bit modernized 90s music, but 90s music just... And you did recognize that in this album. I recognized it, but oh, it's so it's so much evolved. Yes, but John, you'd also made that statement not having heard this album. No, you I, were basing I, it purely on their older. I, albums. I, I did not, in fact, hear this album, and this album was like the next step from their previous one. Uh, they have been evolving, and I, I have to say they they are full fledged adults in this album. We talk about how a band evolves, and sometimes doesn't. It doesn't sit right or you don't like it. This is the perfect progression for this band, this album. Yes. And it culminates it. If I were to infer, even having not heard their earlier work, this strikes me as a montage of their discography, of their musical history, and perhaps even of their lives. It, it, it begins in the 90s. It begins almost as expected, but it ends at, almost in a not-too-distant future, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, let's, let's start breaking it down by track. 
The first few tracks were very much um, what you would come to expect from All American Rejects. They had that that uh, little bit of, of attitude they're known for, that little bit of guitar work that's a little more uh, jarring, a little more halting that uh, I, I love. Um, Some Days Gone was a great intro track. I found it a fairly harsh, a little lay, uh, and very well layered. It was it really set up the the theme for the beginning of the album. As far as tone, it's also very carefree, very yes, lighthearted. Yes. Some Days Gone and Beekeeper's Daughter are two songs that are the singles from the album, and they very much represent their past catalog. Um, a very immature kind of poking fun at problems and how to solve them and moving through them. You know, a very high school to early college feeling carefree, even when things gone bad. I mean, Some Days Gone starts with uh, the the crap hitting the fan, essentially. You know, it's just this... You know, well, it's over, whatever, let's move forward. And Beekeeper's Daughter goes into that theme of, well, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on my own now. Let's go have some fun. It has that teenager, young adult, invincibility attitude. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. <clears throat> and it's still good songwriting also. Yes. Yeah, I say that. It still has, I mean, it, it will not compare to a, a band like Eve Six and their poetry, but their lyrics are very self-aware, and it does have that same sort of... I mean, in terms of structure. The way they yes. tackle the verse, chorus, it's... it's I well, know, like it's, I said last week, they, they tend to be a little more complicated in their sound and, and less poetic in their voice. Right. Their, their tone is matured. Yes. and but even, in, even in this stage. In, in this tell. album, i got to say, their vocals were extremely well layered. Especially when you got... Uh, you start hearing it in Fast and Slow, the third track. Beautiful harmonies. Very simple instruments, especially by comparison to the previous two, especially by comparison to Beekeeper's Daughter, which had a lot of heavy guitar rifting back and forth. But the, the, the instruments were very, very simple. But the layers were of the vocals were just left and right and center. They just kept building and building. And it was incredibly well done, but it still felt like All-American Rejects. That said, I will say that, that for these first two, three tracks, I was a little bit bored because, again, you know, I fall into the same habit that I did you want, last week with Eve 6. I was hearing the 90s. I wanted something a little bit edgy. I wanted something new. And then 4 came along. Then we four got Heartbeat Slowing Down. It really... The, the breakdowns, the beats, the influences you hear in that song... It very, was, very 2000s. It was very... It was three distinct songs. Heartbeat Slowing Down was very heartfelt and, like... Especially in the lyrics, but even with the backbeat of that almost heartbeat kind of backbeat, you could feel the passion in this song. It's clearly about a breakup and a realization that things are not okay, but they will be. And, and it, you can hear it in the progression of the song. That's why it sounds like this kind of three distinct songs, as if you were going through stages of grief almost, or stages of regret, you know, and, and, and following that flow. And this song sort of created... The uh, a theme that really became prevalent throughout the rest of the album, which was a a, a drum beat that that represented a heartbeat in the songs. All the songs, well, not all, but most of the later songs, they kept that heartbeat going. I would call that the binding element of the album most prevalent. I agree. It, it the trouble is it does it does wear in you after a little while. I think there's some songs where that heartbeat sort of sort of wears because it, it is very steady and steady can eventually get repetitive but I felt but that with it that, is binding it, it is the arc in this album if there is one I had felt that that steadiness though was very complemented by the complexities of the other instruments the strings they bring in in later songs and like that kind of stuff the horn work yeah, the little absolutely. bit of jazz beat like they make up stuff. for the sim- 
And, and even the drum beats, they layered the drum beats. There's that backbeat, and it was two drum tracks in some of the songs, too. You could clearly hear that the drummer was doing more complicated stuff over that backbeat. And then the, you would have worrying with piano work and mm-hmm. worrying with synthesizer work. But that drum, like the core drum, stayed steady. Because, yeah. like, walk o- w- and then after Heartbeat Slowing Down, Walk o- Over Me was very much a tongue in cheek kind of follow up to Heartbeat Slowing Down. It was Down. a garage band. Yeah. It was a very core rock kind of base, base like, rock song. It felt like you broke up with your first love in Heartbeat. And now you're like got together with your friends. You're like, well, let's start writing music. Like I've just been inspired, and it's kind of like a shallow inspiration, but on purpose. They kept that same beat going, not exactly the same, but the same feel in the beat of the of the song. But it felt like uh, four or five friends getting together and just riffing away in their mom's basement or garage, and just you know, we're gonna be awesome one day. And it felt perfect as a follow-up for I that song. I think that's the perfect way to put it, a yeah. shallow inspiration. I mean, you do get a very typical rock vibe. There's, there's nothing in this song particularly setting the bar higher. In fact, I'd, I'd say this is the only spot in the album which I, I detected a bit of, a, a, bit of a, a, a decline. And I gotta agree with that. I have to agree with that. Right. Because apart from that song, but I, I think it works in context, because mm-hmm. it's still in the youthful part of the album. It was still, we're still pretty early on. We're still only at five here. And basically in that song also, lyrically, um, on the bass level, even though the song was very kind of steady rock, it was a very, you know, the last song was about a breakup. This song was very therapeutic. I mean, the whole theme of this song is uh, patient and doctor d- talking through therapy. I mean, that was how the lyrics kind of went back and forth. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Like, and, it, like they were using their uh, the garage band as therapy. Right. And you get that that very, you get that by the end of the song, you very much feel that clearly in the song, which I think is what strengthened it a little bit. Even though it was a low point, it kept it from completely bottoming out because that was there. And you said, Steve, you said this uh, the sound was sort of like early Green Day. Yeah, it does. It has that. I mean, you can see their influence in that. Oh, regard. absolutely. You can see. Yeah. You can see that it is a '90s band, which you know a lot of '90s bands drew from Green Day. Uh, but that said, they went in a completely different direction to follow. Yeah. After I mean, that, after that, it is, it is one straight uphill swing. I I think the main thing that I respect about this band is they seem to always set the bar higher. Yeah. And always have this desire to set the bar higher. So that's what I think the, the layering really gives you that effect of is because they. They don't simply layer one instrument. They will change it up to always layer another and layer another. It, it's, it seems to be building throughout the track and throughout the album as a whole. The next track out the door, the, John kept cracking jokes that the opening drum beat sounded very much like I Would Walk 500 Miles yeah. by the Proclaimers because it had that very marching beat. But as the song progressed, you could tell why because the song is pretty much about walking out the door walking away you know and and that kind of backbeat especially when they did the marching snare drum towards the end of the song really carried that message and strengthened it for that song and made it very very i don't know how to describe it i guess just they, solid like complete they built it they yeah. they truly created the song now and this... even even in that just to interject here even in that sense that is another example of that setting the bar the bar higher yeah. because they use it in a military sense. It's the same steady heartbeat that John described that is persisting throughout the entire album. But in this particular song, they choose to re-envision it as a, a military, uh, you know, march. That's that's important because that that is what detracts from the the stale factor of the heartbeat, which otherwise would probably fall flat if it wasn't for the fact that they constantly re-envision every single thing they do. They're setting that bar higher and higher. 
and that's where I have to talk about something where I that that hurts this album and hurts all American rejects to an extent. They have two very specific formulas for their songs. And there is the start high, complicate your, your music and your vocals together, and then drop it out, do the same thing. Drop it out, do the same thing. Drop it out, where they just go in waves. They start way too high and they build, they let it drop. And this is Actually, a way... Actually, that's a good point. That they're... You're right. You know what? I, I take back what I said because I forgot we did agree on that earlier. And yet they set the bar higher, but they almost tease you with it. Yes. And I, I – because they do have – there are moments where it goes through these natural phases of uh, predictable resolutions, which you can you can see pop up in almost every single track. They're, they're fleeting. They don't last because once they appear, you're like, all right, that was a little predictable. But then they set the next bar higher right after that. It's just the cycle gets a little old. You almost do want to see them build off what they began with. And that's where they have their other formula for building music, which is start basic, start with one instrument, then add one on top of it, and add one on top of it, and they layer, 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 until they truly get something that's very what I was complicated. Earlier, exactly. That's that's those are the two types that they have. That, those are the two types of songs that they have, and and far I, I by far prefer the second to the first. And and honestly, they are very simple ways to make music, but. All American Rejects has has done a great job of actually making it extremely complicated. They're great musicians. They really do know how to how to mix their riffs and their melodies and their chords together to create a, a, a complexity that works. But that's where this album starts detracting. Not to say because the album is just amazing, but this is what you have to watch out for. They they do a lot of the same things. They just do them uniquely. Every song is unique, but every song has A, B, C. It's just A, B, C. It's changing constantly and evolving constantly. And they keep setting, like you said, Steve, they keep setting this bar so high. And I feel like while this album was just phenomenal, how do they live up? How do they keep doing that? How do they keep reinventing that sound? And how do they keep raising that bar? I'm going to just reference uh, a couple weeks ago, we reviewed the Interpol album. Yeah. And I, I took issue with that because I felt that they were almost a garage band style that was trying to sort of get in a little bit too much over their head. Mm-hmm. They were trying to include this very epic, grand, you know, grandiose style that was going to uh, be consistent throughout the entire album. I'm not sure it worked 100%. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that was a perfect marriage of their <laughs> earlier work and their later work. It seemed like they were just you know going for the gold and... In a little bit of a no man's land. In this album, I feel it does work. To be honest, I'm not. I'm not sure. Are you trying to? Say I'm, it not does? Saying, it I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just. I'm just warning of a pitfall that really did uh, hurt the songs when when you start dissecting them. But Perhaps. I. But I think what Steve's saying, and I agree with, is whereas Interpol missed that ledge, I think, and the next song really proves it. Kids in the street really hits that. It's a cinematic song. You listen to this song, it sounds very pure 80s, but it sounds very much kids in the street, kids picking themselves up, kids growing up, taking almost, life. Almost playing around and, and trying to discover themselves. Yeah, and, and I think it hits that epic... Not yeah, I mean, well, yeah, the, the, the example was a, was a little off, because I wouldn't exactly call the sound epic. They're not going for that here. <laughs> but they're going for that kind of storytelling. I, I yes, exactly. I mean, in terms of the bar that this band is setting, right? Let's just say that that bar is analogous to the bar that Interpol was setting. Yes. I thought Interpol 
isn't quite there yet. I thought this band achieved what they said. In other words, American Rejects set a realistic bar, and they got there. And they surpassed it. Yeah, exactly. I, I gotta say, and uh, what, I, what I explained before, I'm not saying that the album stank or was hurt by this. I'm just saying, it, once you start dissecting it, just be a little careful. It, you're gonna start recognizing their movements in their music. But talking about Kids in the Street... The piano competing and complimenting the drums was really great. I love the beat oh, in this yeah. song. I, I, I'm a sucker for that that piano in an empty auditorium. That's kind of an old, you know, solidly out of tune piano. Yeah, it's got this little honky tonk sound. Almost electronica. Yeah. Yep. Almost, almost that '80s. I just discovered the keyboard. It's actually kind of a popular effect now these days, but it works. It really does work because as long as you use it tastefully, it can really bring your song a new life. And then it went right into Bleed Into Your Mind, which I thought was a little bit... Was was a nice little psychedelic song to it. Uh, not psychedelic. Uh, 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 I would cra- just, it was crazy. I would describe it It was way. a little bit of a crazy well, song. My favorite thing about Bleed Into Your Mind, especially following Kids in the Street, which is fairly long. I believe it was four minutes and change. Yeah, almost five. five. Bleed Into Your Mind was like two minutes and... 30 seconds, if even. It was really short and sweet, but I think because it was so short and focused and specific, it complemented Kids in the Street so well because, you know, you got this big arcing story in Kids in the Street that went into this very simple, this very psychedelic but short and sweet song. And it, was, it was unusual well. instruments. It was weird combinations with the instruments. It was distorted. The sounds were, they, they dragged the guitar work around a little bit there was weird whining in it right. it was some, like doing some, some this, drugs like this some was of a, this here is not 100 percent the band as much as it is the production work yeah the production synth work on this album great. is phenomenal it yeah. really is is phenomenally done i mean that's something that i think also a lot of bands from the 90s don't don't include too well I mean, some some of it they'll they'll just pop it here and there. It's almost as a, a courtesy to say, "Oh, we're modern," because a lot of bands did not do this in the '90s. Not to say that you know synth work was not around the '90s, but bands in their style did not do it so much. They usually kept to straight up instruments. I really can't think of any bands that truly went and did synth the same way, with possible exception if of at all. Jet, not Jet. Um, why can't I think of them? To me, World. No. Although they do it as well, yeah, they did it as well, but not the same level, not nearly the same level as making a, an album about. I'll, I'll, it'll come, it'll come back to me. But speaking of that synth, nine Gonzo, ninth track, that was really where they they just went balls to the wall with the synthesizer and did a great job of layering it with the vocals. Um, they that was that was a big theme on this later half of the album was layering the vocals to make them their own instrument. Well, the greatest thing about the way Tyson sings, the lead singer, is that he has so many different ranges, and he really shows it in this album. I mean, there are songs that sounded nothing like his typical singing style, but in the later songs on the album, there's literally at least three, four, or five tracks of him singing at different levels, going at once at different times, creating a chorus of just him. And sometimes, at, and if it's not done right, it just sounds samey. But because he has all these different ranges, you really thought it was a chorus of clones of Tyson singing at once. And I love the whining he does. We've talked about this before when we were talking about Cage. I love that whiny kind of voice in music. And <laughs> he actually, does it so well. That would be probably the one thing I did not like about this album. Because it's, it's I mean, again, this is all taste. All taste. It's like you're more familiar with that kind of whine, the twang mm-hmm. and everything. I'm, I'm more interested in the actual singing. Which is why... When he layers, 
that's that was the turning point for me. They get rid of the twang. Well, the twang is exactly. still there. That yeah, wine is yeah, still the there. Yeah, the twang is there under but, but I it's guess because, of, because it's complemented and almost even hidden a little bit by the effects that's going into it. It's it's that layering effect that really turns the voice into an instrument. And in Gonzo, because I'm more instrumentally oriented. Yeah, and in Gonzo, they 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 complemented the synthesizer with his voices, with the, his his range of voices, and really made it an instrument. Really, really, yeah. com- really. When I hear them. a vocal, I I prefer it to be used more as an instrument than simply an, a singing accompaniment, which is different for everyone. I mean, we hashed this out with the Tall as Lions. That's one of the reasons I like their vocals so much, and. Um, I, I think it, it's the effects in this album that achieves that end. When he's singing alone, it, it, it's not so much for me, which uh, he sings alone uh, in the earlier tracks. Yeah. But it improved as it went along because of the effect work. Well, it's it's showing this. I guess what, what you could say is this album shows the evolution of an individual. As well as a band. As well as a band. Yeah. Because it's, it's, I feel as if their earlier songs were specifically made to be shallow. To be... Um, self-important and self-righteous in style, right. which I, I you can actually, definitely hear that in the music. You know, I actually would say that he's probably he's he's not the greatest singer, no. to me, um, by any stretch, really. But I think he knows it, and because he knows it, he knows how to get around it. That's what I picked up in this album more so. Yeah, that he knows how to sing with the range of talent that he has, right? Instead of forcing himself to do things that he can't, right. And a lot of great alternative and rock singers and punk singers do that. I mean, for example... Mark and Tom from Blink-182, neither of them can sing. But they make it work for themselves and harmonize with their ranges. Same with, like, Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20. He has that low, gravelly voice. But for the style of music they play, it works very well. And this is a case where you really walk in a thin line, I think. Yeah. Because the fact is, when you do modify your own vocals... You're, you're changing it. You're moving it away from a raw sound toward a uh, souped-up electronic sound, which is the same reason a lot of people hate auto-tune. That, that's what they didn't use, but they didn't use the auto-tune. He just sang multiple, multiple tracks, well, and the they thing. mixed them. I think the rawness, for me, is retained by their background instrumentals. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it bounces out. It doesn't become a souped-up electronic, you know, fake album. I, I think it, it is very genuine. Well, and the ge- and the genuineness of this album comes through, and their talent comes through in the next song. And I I've been trying to avoid talking about this song, and there's a reason I wanted not to talk about this song because when we're done talking about it, it's over, and I don't, I don't want it to end. Um, Pretty much, affection because, was track ten, and I, there's only I I tried to take notes on this song, and I could only write down one thing. Wow, the the affection is the type of song that I look for in music in general. In terms of the way it's constructed, uh, the climax that it's reach that it reaches, as well as uh, the instruments that it uses. This song had it would it had it felt like it had everything. It had strings, it had drums, it had guitar, it had singing, harmonizing, it had violins. It had. And I want to. I really want to be firm about this. It is not simply the inclusion of those instruments that makes it what it is. It it's was the ha- manner in which. They were used. And they, it, it was composed. This it, was a composed album. It ve- felt like, very composed, song. and it felt like something that you would hear in a dance hall that you would slow dance to, or or something that it was a blast from the past. I mean, undoubtedly, it was something that was. But yet, they still made it fit for them. It still wasn't that so far out of their realm. This is a song that cannot be played without fifteen people. This is a song that, that is just too complicated for a band 
without uh, to, to play. There's no way something like this could be played live without having three people on the strings, a couple people on the horns, a couple people just on guitar work. That's actually not 100% true. With uh, modern yeah, technology, yeah, yeah. they could have a backtrack of everything but what the band is missing because they that break is it true, down that way That is true, but I'm talking anyway. live. This 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 right. song cannot be played live without 15 people. Well, it could be played live, but they would need a background track. That's for not live. Oh. The rest of the all well, these instruments again, would not I have be live. Never been, I, I I've never been more surprised by some bands than um as to what they can do on stage. Sometimes they do manage it. Yeah. They will bring as many instruments as as they need, and that's or what they, they have they to will, do. Well, I think they I don't, don't think need we... all 15. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. They can do a lot with a little. I bet it's possible. I bet it's possible. I haven't but seen it, but I bet it's possible. This song, like the Whatever. entire song, yeah. just built up. The to... fact is, it is what it is in studio. And in studio form, it is it is a work of art. It's gorgeous. I mean, Steve, you, you said you were almost crying by the end of it. A, it's a five-star song. Yeah. It, it, it's very, you feel the emotion in this song and the follow-up song stronger than I felt in, in, in a lot of albums in a long time. And this, this emotional build-up was like the culmination of the album. It really it set the precedent of we started as cocky, we ended up getting a little destroyed by our relationships and destroyed in our life, and we built up and we built up. And with affection, it's like we made it. Until you get to the next song. Well, the great thing about the next song is with Affection, Affection was this complicated, layered, magnificent opus for the album. Affection also had a tone which I think was very, very different from the rest of the album, to be honest. There were some crossing over elements, but they were not as pronounced. So that's the only... uh, That is going to be a few points down for me, because I I do think there's um, a disconnect there between the rest of the album and Affection. But... But that said, to what I believe you're about to say, I was worried as to where it would go right after that. Because, because this... there's only one track left on the album, and it needs to follow the magnum opus, as you put it. Which had and all of these details. And, and we paused the album, and we actually said that. And we're like, where do they go next? How do we follow this song up? And then they did I For You. And I For You is one of those songs that it was the only thing they could have done. It's just Tyson singing... And the guitar is playing acoustic guitar. That's it. it. It didn't get louder or softer. It was a constant straight through two minute and 30 something second song that was just simply simple. I heard Ryan Adams very thoroughly. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It was... I would agree. It has that very folk rock kind of or kind of like just classic, mm-hmm. like very guitar rock, just... There's something very, very, I mean, I don't think this will be argued particularly. There's something very individualistic about just a guy singing with a guitar. Absolutely. There was three things, three sounds in the entire song. There was a guitar. That's it. That's the only actual instrument in the entire song. Sure. There was him singing, and then there was the slight chorus in the background of people humming, singing along. Which was just his voice's remix. Which was so subtle, I barely noticed. Yeah, it was was just enough that while he was singing to compliment it, to just... Marry it to the guitar work. It was definitely the uh, most poetic of the songs on the album, and like it was the only thing that could really uh, follow affection. It was so simple that its beauty finished it. It finished the album, and that fact alone shows that this how planned this album was. Because so many other artists have made this mistake where they include their their quote-unquote magnum opus, which sometimes, is, sometimes isn't even, you know, that much of a magnum opus, but they treat it as such. They put it too early in the album, and then they don't follow it well enough. 
They follow it with things that either fall flat or you can't focus on them because you're still hung up on the previous song, on that Motus to itself. So because they put this at the second to last track, they they just faded it out. It's like you went to sleep. So it's a nice effect. It was a great conclusion. And I, the funny thing about this record is that I I've, I was the only one of the three who had listened to it previously. But when I listened to it, I didn't get this range of emotions, this complexity, because I wasn't listening to it with a critical ear like I do here, which is a shame because I feel like, I feel like I've been missing out. I felt like I just didn't get what I wanted from it. But then listening to it this time, like I had a very different opinion of it. When I first heard it, I thought it was okay. I thought for All American Rejects, it was good. But I didn't feel... But I felt down, completely transformed, completely different. My opinion is is completely different from it. And so, in 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 conclusion, and I know I did this for six last week, but I think it's for different reasons. And as long as you stay within your realm of reasons, it makes perfect sense. This is a five star album for me, and I'll tell you why. Because it brought out things for me that I didn't expect to. It surprised me it, around every turn. It was like I was listening to it for the first time. And it hit, for, for the reason that you're saying it loses points, I think it gains points because in my opinion, the fact that the first three songs were very basic All-American Rejects and kind of those songs that you expect from them, and then they made that turn, and then the end completely sounded different, I felt like the entire album was preparing you for the last two songs. And I feel like not enough albums do that kind of crescendo and rap. And for me, that's what makes it a five-star album for oh, me. Oh, dude, I love how you put that. Like... I love how the first nine songs were preparing you for the ending. I agree. I, I agree, and that's why I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this probably the highest rating I've given so far. It's a four point five. This this album is just shy from being a legitimate repeat constantly album, which is what I would consider a five star album. Uh, it loses a little bit of points for its simplicity in formula. But more than makes up for it in the uh, the vocals, the layering of the vocals, the lyrics themselves, and the work with the instruments. The instruments are just built up perfectly. They're layered mathematically, but they're inspired in how they're put together. That's the only way I can explain it. And this album, I am upset that it took me so long to hear because this is an incredible album. 4.5. It's tough for me to rate or to grapple with the disconnect that is present in this album and I said that before and that is why I'm going to lower it a few points but I'm right there with you I, it is a 4.5 for me it is not a 5 star for that sheer reason alone there is a disconnect there and this is why it's tough to grapple with because I know it's intentional I know that is an intentional choice by them they, they meant every bit of it but the end result is still that there's it, there's so many different things going on here there's so many different genres at work and I feel it, it's just not a lot of cohesion for that reason. It does have a storyline cohesion. I can hear very, very clearly the immaturity growing up. And as we said, it is, it is a grown-up album as, it, as we're done. I mean, that, that's it. It, it is a very, very grown-up album for that reason. They meant every bit of it, but I just felt there could have been a little bit more cohesion. They could have included some of the elements. Not all, but some of the elements they had at the end, they could have included that earlier on. 4.5. Okay, so 5, 4.5, 4.5. This is a solid album. You guys have to listen to it. This is definitely the highest we've rated an album. As a group. As a group. Definitely. In agreement. Yeah. And, and 
Besides, yeah, no, I definitely, re- Matt, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, Matt's the only one that has given a five before, and we've never even... I've given one four. I don't think Steve has given him higher than a four before. I, uh, only for as tall as lines, I gave yeah, 4.9. 4. 4. 4. Yeah, well, that's because... He said it was almost perfect. But <laughs> a lot of this stuff... It was perfect because, it, I, again, it had cohesion. It had many of the same elements that this band had, only I felt that it also had cohesion. See, but for me, I don't feel like four point, I don't feel like five star is a perfect score. I feel like five star is a rating based on within your own rules, and I have yet to break that. I, I gave these both four, four, uh, five stars for reasons within my own logic. And that's what it really comes down to. And in conclusion, get this album. Go buy it. Period. Don't, don't. Minimally. And do not judge look it, it up. Do not judge it by the first three tracks. No. Give it a Maybe full listen. In fact, if you like the first three tracks, you're in luck. Yeah. Because then you'll it just the becomes epic. It, well, it, now, this is a segue into something that, uh, that we were planning to discuss here, and that's how people listen to music. Because just consider, there will be some people out there who perhaps are so attached to uh, All American Rejects' old sound that they might not be able to accept the new. Because the, the especially the ending, that crescendo, is very different from their past. Very, very different. Very. Some people don't accept that kind of sound. And they moved in a direction that is closer to my tastes. I can hear this band's evolution. It's an evolution toward what I like, away from what I didn't. But right. for others, it could be the exact opposite. Right. And, like, for me, it was an evolution from something I like to something I like. Like, a, and no. it just, they just got better and some, more talented. Some people follow it and some people don't. It's, it's I brought tricky. up the example of how I was talking to Steve the other day, off the air, about how Green Day's grown as a band and went from being pure punk to pop punk. Almost, they're branching out to classic rock. They're going to hit that classic rock wall. I really think they're going to get there because and they're making an evolution. I'm on, I'm on a bit of an opposite side there because I'm I again I was not big on Green Day beginning. I don't hate the band, that's for right. sure. Uh, I think there's going to be very little hatred going around in this podcast. It's just it's not my taste. I I really didn't go for the punk style personally. I, I like a more ornate, colored type music, um, and the direction that they went in wasn't necessarily more toward that. It was more so toward the pop rock state. They they merely depunkified. In a way. They right. kind of refined their sound. Right. They refined it. But they refined it within similar bounds as to what they were used to. So I, I wouldn't say... I guess I'm sort of the same. I, I would only say that I enjoyed American Idiot perhaps more so than their average song. Which is... Uh, I, I, know, album, I, mean. I know a couple of people who, um, with Green Day, lost some love for them with American Idiot and 21st Century Breakdown. Meanwhile, I actually would count that... I. I I don't think they've gone better or worse. It's just a different sound from them. When you compare it to some earlier stuff like Nimrod and Dookie, you're going to compare it to uh, a, almost a different band. I was just going to say that. It's almost completely two different bands. And I have to say there's, there's one band, and uh, Steve's going to smack me when I say this. <laughs> Weezer. <laughs> Every single one of their albums has been different. They have evolved in all of their albums. So I would you can also say their suggest... earlier stuff is related. You can say their mid stuff is related. You can say their late stuff is related. If you look at Ratitude and you look at Pinkerton, just review a Weezer album already. I mean, I'm tired recently. of hearing. They haven't, they haven't <laughs> no, they haven't made anything in like a year. We um, would have, they, I would go back. <laughs> I'll go back. I kind of want to deal with Weezer Day. And just not let these two guys show up so I could just spend an hour and a half just talking about Weezer and, and, and saying how much yeah, I love yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll just give you the floor. They right are now. a different I'll band. 
And they lost a lot of fans recently uh, with Ratitude and the Red Album because they started... And Hurley. And Hurley, and I loved Hurley, and I know Matt's shaking his head. But I loved it not because it was the same sound. I loved it because it was different. And because they were evolving and they were changing their stuff up. And I said before that these are this is a band that's never going to grow up, and I hope they never do. And I want you to define for me right now what you consider that evolution to be. What were they and what did they become? They, be, they went from garage band to, I don't know, each album kind of changed it. I mean, uh, when you look at like the Make Believe album, they were kind of pop. They were actually... Uh, they're they were more pop, pop now than they were then. They were pop rock. Yeah. Now they have sort of a synthesized pop alt sound. Um, but even when you compare like Ratitude to Hurley, we're talking actually, they're two different albums there. They're two different noises coming out of that. But for me... My my thing about Weezer, and I love Weezer, don't get me wrong, but for the same reason you love Hurley, I hate it because I think, talent-wise, it's a terribly made record. Now, that's m- mostly my opinion, and not it may not necessarily be fact, but I just think that... I, I just think that it wasn't well-made. And... That's funny to me because it, it kind of fits into this hypocrisy example I was bringing up, how like Green Day, clearly their quality had gotten better, though their style had changed. Whereas Metallica, when they made their new album, not the newest one, but the one before that, St. Anger, the quality in their music plummeted. It was this kind of hollow, new metal kind of, we have no talent sound hmm. that I hated. And I could say the same thing happened with Disturbed when they released Indestructible. Yes. That's a perfect example. And I, I don't think Indestructible was terrible. I just don't call it anywhere near something like but yet uh, you, Stupefied. But yet you like Hurley. And I think it's fascinating how, even within our own parameters of how we listen critically, that we even break our own rules sometimes. Sometimes we do, yes. I will say, I feel like Weezer, I can definitely point to Weezer as a band... I feel like my evolution of taste have actually paralleled what they've done with their music. Right. That's and I think that's why natural. I still and that's like. Perfectly natural, yeah. And I'm not saying it's because of them or it, it happened first because uh, the Hurley sound I probably got into about a year and a half previous the actual release of that album. But I feel like I've been following just ahead of where they've been going with their music. And the funny thing is, I can't say reflect in this regard, but back to As Tall as Lion, uh, oh, wow, I just said the word, <laughs> I can't say parallel as much as I can say reflect for As Tall as Lions. They don't parallel because I got into them too recently. Mm-hmm. There have been many other, other influences in my life that led up to As Tall as Lions. But when I look at their discography, as I wrote in my article, check it out, <laughs> there is there is a reflection to what I have grown accustomed to, an evolution. I like, I do not like simplification. I like desimplification in general, or I like the foresight to do a lot with a little. Right. That, that that's in general what I look for in the band's next album. And I, and compared to what John's saying with Weezer, I can probably do it. Probably the, the band that I talk about the most on here, like you have with Weezer, though not to as great of an extent, is Matchbox Twenty. Because when their first album came out, Yourself or Something, Someone Like You, I was in high school. That album was one of my defining albums musically. And they went from your basic 90s alternative music to this kind of uh, power pop rock band. They play stadiums, they're huge, and, and Rob Thomas had a solo career that paralleled Matchbox 20, but also delved into more standard pop music. And while a lot of people don't like that evolution for them, 
I think it's complimented them, and I love their new single, which we listened to as a group earlier today. I like where it went. But that also could be because I changed with their style. As they evolved into this more pop sound, I became more forgiving of some classic pop. And they feel they feel more classically what pop was than what pop is currently. Let's also define some terms here. I said I do not like simplification over time. Because as far as I'm concerned, a lot of that does imply laziness to me. I mean, Well, you're banking on old noises exactly, that you made. Right. Exactly. You're... Yeah, exactly. You you have a library. You have you're at your standard, and you're just going to stay for that standard for the rest of your life. Right. That shows it doesn't show work yeah. to me. We're not it talking about say your album can't be can't be simple sound good. Yeah. yeah, I just don't think it can be great. Right. I, I I do. That's where I would make the comparison to Disturbed. Like their album Indestructible was Stupefy 2.0, and it didn't work. Yeah, it was right. good. But it wasn't as great as right. 10,000 Fists, which is still stands as one of, I think, their best albums. So back to the terms that I was going to describe here, let's also differentiate um, simplication versus clutter. Because I also agree that clutter is not a way to make up for what you're now lacking right. in terms of complexity. I would personally say dubstep is a good example of that. I still am not hearing too much dubstep work that when a band decides to take the dubstep route, such as Korn, I'm not hearing that as an evolution as much as I'm hearing that as a, I guess a resort. Uh, yeah, we've been talking a lot about dubstep in the past few podcasts, and it's yeah. it's becoming a very important thing in music. Not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, just an important aspect of music is to is to start electronifying everything. But I feel like evo- yeah. uh, evolution and importance doesn't have to be good. It can be bad too to still make positive results. Because bad things can improve any industry. Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> Which, How do you mean that? I think Simon and Garfunkel were a terrible duo, and there's only one or two good songs they did, but I believe they inspired a lot of musicians to make good music. Same thing with okay, the monkeys. that's kind of interesting. Uh, same that, thing with the monkeys. You a very, very good point with Simon and Garfunkel there. Yeah. Only because you're right. I have never personally gotten into Simon and Garfunkel's music. But I have gotten into many other bands that do a similar sure. style of low-key, soft, duo guitar, duo singing. The I'm going to reference Kings of Convenience. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I know them. I you like to pick the esoteric, but I think I know that one. <laughs> but I also, to that extent, like I never really liked Simon and Garfunkel either. However, Paul Simon would not have—I feel like—would not have had as powerful career had he not been part of that duo. Because I love Paul Simon, and his music is similar to his stuff with Simon and Garfunkel, but it's the solo stuff. It's a little more complicated. But I love Paul Simon. I don't know that I would have known him as much or loved him as much if Simon and Garfunkel hadn't happened. Well, certainly. I mean, they, he probably wouldn't have existed. <laughs> or he wouldn't have been himself. Right. I mean, the influence, I guess, is obvious. That's actually a very good point that you bring up. I just I find it fascinating how, and don't understand how some people, me and Steve talk about this at great length, how some people can go through life listening to Top 40 music, not getting anything from it. Like, it baffles me how someone can listen to a song and feel nothing. There are songs that make you feel nothing, but even those nothing songs like a like a pop song, like a, a garbage pop song, will still make you feel something. Fun, I, I joy. Had a, a great conversation up at college uh, to this effect about about whether you can actually define good music versus bad music as a general umbrella rule outside of simply your own opinion. Right. Is that possible? I think the the conclusion that I and a couple of other people have reached was that you can't. No. And really, I, everyone listens to music differently. And I've said many times. Yeah, and I agree with that because I've always found it fascinating how I can listen to a song 
the same song as the two of you, and the three of us will pick up three distinctly different things from one song. Well, well that's, and where, yet, that's where I was going to go back to the top. Okay. But I wasn't done. And, however, there are other songs like our song of the day, Affection, where we can all listen to it. Where we just, yeah, we and all... we all heard the same thing. We're all just true. completely complete. on point. We're speechless. I, I think that is an important element right there. Yeah. I think if you can reach a, a universal audience, that's very important. And Affection you definitely almost, did that. You can almost say that that in itself is what defines I think there's no, man. but... I, I, there hasn't been anybody in the last 20 years, even, that have actually done that. I think we've lost that since the Beatles. It's, well, it, it depends on how you view it. We're sitting around here in a room, listening to affection, and we're all on the same page. We all think it's beautiful. We all think they've touched our hearts in a certain way. But let's look at it on a worldwide scale. When you're talking about pop... It is, after all, top forty is the most popular. But so at even the same time, they're polarizing. Uh, 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 we're the perfect example. But I know plenty of people that really look at what's pop right now, and you you can go online and find plenty of people decrying pop as the death of music. And in five years, there will be a new band that is destroying music. And in five years, there'll be a new band. Wait. And there's always going to be somebody that, regardless of how popular they are, are killing music. But I, I think like. There's nobody that's universal not disliked, I guess is the way to put it. There's nobody out there that I really find... That's what I'm saying. Universal could be subjective. In many ways, some of those pop artists in the top 40 could be considered universal simply because their numbers are highest. No, no, no. I'm I'm not saying it's it's numbers. I'm saying it's... There's nobody out there right now that, while you may not love them, nobody hates them. I understand what John's saying. I think that mm. that John's saying that there's no there are bands from the past that I can think of that more or less are universally accepted. Yes, I think, but that's because of time purely. No, that, even at the time, actually, I, Steve brings up a good point though, because I feel like at the time the style, there had to be the, somebody the who hated starting, Elvis. There had this, to be. Yeah. There's no way that everybody loved Elvis. I just don't. I won't buy it. I feel like someone. There might have been someone then, but now because it's become so ingrained in our culture... And then also consider pop, too. Pop yeah. had different meaning back then. You know, Led Zeppelin, they started out pretty popular. They, they, I, I wouldn't say that even so much was time with Led Zeppelin. When they started out, they were popular and they've retained that popularity. Right. You might as well still call that pop. So yeah. it reached people at the time and it still reaches people today. What do you call that? But at the same time, like the, the, there was like ABBA right next to them, and that's not good. That's irrelevant, though. <laughs> so what? They were there. The B was backwards. It was disorienting. But but um, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying, Stephen. And, and I got into an argument with Joseph the other day, actually, because uh, Joseph is one of our other contributors. He's written a wonderful old death article. It's his newest one. You should definitely check it out. But he, ha- I was trying to explain to him that pop music isn't just Lady Gaga and stuff that he doesn't understand because he's very into old music. The Beatles were pop. Buddy Holly was pop when they came exactly. out. Exactly. And he fought me on it. He's like, why? Why is that pop? I don't understand. Pop is, as the genre that we understand it today, is only defined by what we understand it as today. You you can't, pop is really popularity. Right. It, that's all it is. It can be rock. It can be any genre, really. Jazz was pop. I right. said that and before. I th- I, you know what? I want to try an experiment. Used to be. Once Here on the podcast, time. I'm saying it. I want to try an experiment. I want to take someone like Katy Perry or... Not Gaga. No. Not Gaga. I want to take a couple of pop artists, and I want to see, as a group project, on this show, for all of you, if we can divide them into a different genre. 
I think that would be fascinating. To try and actually define them as something other than pop. Uh, yeah, that's... Well, I believe... Because I feel... Because ten years from now, Katy Perry won't be popping. Madonna's not considered pop anymore, to a point. Actually, I would, I would say that over the last 15 years, pop, pop has actually been defined as a genre as opposed to just popular music. But that, no, but that's that, what I'm saying. That's right, what, that's and that's what, what we're saying. Before. That's why I'm so curious to see if what we you, can what's define it as something in, else. In ten years, are we going to have what they're going to start calling it new pop? Yeah, th- that's why I'm interested. I they really might. think, and they're going to call new, the, what now old pop, n- classic pop. Think about it. At the time, who called new wave new wave? It was. In fact, it was at the time, the they really didn't even call people like the Beatles and it wasn't later, classic rock. they weren't. They weren't classic it wasn't rock, even and rock. they weren't even considered pop. They were just considered popular. Pop has turned into a it has turned into a, a derogatory genre. term. Almost, it has turned into a term that defines very, very simplified rock, uh, perhaps infused with a bit of hip hop. So That's we've gone from talking it. about how to listen to music to pop. Clearly, we're overdue for we're, this. We have no, 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 no. to. We have to. We have to find a day and just define we, pop. That's what I'm saying. We're clearly. We clearly, as a group, have a lot to say about pop. We really need to do that episode. I think that we have so much to say, and that's why I had that idea to try and take a pop, a pop artist now, as in in the genre of pop, and redefine it as another genre. Because I think it'll be a lot harder than we think it is. I don't think it'll be as clear cut as how we do you think mean it was. Redefine it as another genre. Can we classify it as rock or pop? Pretend or pop doesn't exist as a genre. What else would it be? Because we're saying the Beatles uh, I, are now. What I, 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 electronica hip hop. Okay, we're going to that. We're rock. going to the past for this then. Yeah. All right. I think that. Because, like, we say Beatles is classic rock now, but it wasn't classic rock then. So, what would those pop artists now be? Like, it, 10 years from now, what would they be considered? Would they be considered. Sam? What would Justin be? I don't know. And it's fascinating. What, what are the oh, yeah, spice? That's, that's what I was saying before. What are the spice that's exactly girls? what I was yeah. just saying. I said that that like I believe pop has become most broadly um, simplified rock, straightforward rock in terms of you know the the verse chorus structure that we've come to know for fifty years, infused with a bit of electronica and hip hop. So that, I think that actually would define a band like. Um... Spice Girls or the Backstreet Boys fairly accurately. Yeah. At the same time, I don't think someone Disagree. like Gaga actually fits in there. Disagree. Uh, who? who? Gaga. I don't think she fits in that genre. Oh, she absolutely does. Like, hip hop influence, electronic. No, no, no. Yes. I'm saying you're saying it was light. I'm saying on the flip side, it's like she's very light rock with heavy hip hop electronic oh. influence. I disagree with the Backstreet Boys. Well, fine. All that matters of degree. I will agree with that. I disagree with the Backstreet Boys statement just because, like, boys to men. Which Backstreet Boys' early stuff was very similar to. Boys to Men were not considered pop. They were considered R&B. They were an R&B all-guy group. I forgot that was a genre. Yeah. R&B is a problem with that. R&B got very lumped into pop. As well as hip-hop. Yeah. And And rap at some And when I first heard Backstreet Boys on the radio, I really thought they were Boys to Men. Hell, I didn't think they were white because of the soulful singing they had on their early works. Is R&B dead? There are... No. Some might can still consider Beyonce to be... Uh, I have a better example of R&B. Yeah. CeeLo Green is absolutely oh, R&B. Okay. Yeah. He's influenced by jazz, blues, yeah. classic rock. He's, uh, but true, he's got that soulful true. singing. Hands down, CeeLo Green he's is, not, he's is not R&B. Enough. I definitely want to... I still want... His new album is probably over a year old. I want to review it on this show. I think that we... Especially with critical ears like ours, especially considering Steve would look at it very differently, I feel, than I would. I really want to review it because I feel like we'd have a lot to say about that record. It's true, because we need to start getting out of the genres that we've been in. So I think my next record maybe 
will be CeeLo Green. It's time solo to leave record. the 90s behind, guys. <laughs> well, this album was what are you 90s. talking about? They are not a 90s band. They're a 2000s band. You're the one that you reached back further than the rest of us. Have I? Yeah. We, my oldest thing is, was, was a year and a half. But, the th- no, okay. That's in terms of legitimate date that it came out. Yeah. We're in talking about style. style. I still consider As Tall as Lines to be a, a fresher sound. Than Cage? Not yes. more than Corn? Surely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, ah, I know what you're going to say. They call uh, the dubstep infusion of theirs. Um, but that's not fresh to me. Dubstep has still been around for several years now, and techno has been around longer than that. There's nothing necessarily boundary pushing, really, in my opinion. This is semantics. The, the point is. is palm. <laughs> the, the point is, though, is that I think we really need to start. I, I want to really start dissecting some stuff, but I think that, that we're overdue for a, a, an episode completely about pop, and I think a great group project would be to dissect. Because... And, we, and we apologize, because uh, I think we spent a little bit too much time making fun of pop. Yeah, well, that I was mean, not we... supposed to be the topic today. <laughs> no, yeah, we kind and of we... went from one topic to another, but I feel like that, that, that was the natural evolution of this conversation. And we have valid reasons for not liking pop. And I think I see, a lot of people no, have I'm, valid reasons for their opinions. Okay, this is what I, I disagree with going back to. The conversation di- that I had at college was along those lines, and it's a very ubiquitous conversation. It should be present in almost every single thing we do. Is that the valid reasons that you describe for not liking valid pop opinions. is I mean, valid for you. It might be valid for me. It might be valid for Matt here. But is it valid for everyone else that we're... No, from our point of view, I think we have valid opinions as to why we dislike pop. This but, is an expression but, of our quote-unquote valid opinions. But you guys are putting me in an umbrella that I don't fit in. I don't dislike pop. I don't. There are pop know, artists that are I'm not are saying just you. I'm just saying, I'm saying me and Steve, because you, he, he mentioned you. I did it. Oh, okay. But I'm saying from but our opinions of I what we look for... General, uh, what about Gautier? I'm not a bit man. Yeah, but you know what? Gautier... That's an interesting point, and I was thinking about the I other day. I still think it's good music. Yeah, I but agree. some of the songs I like really have only, like, oh, look, there's pop. Let's I find it fascinating way. that society is <laughs> considering that pop these days, when but two yeah. years ago it would have been alternative as anything. And Gautier is on 101.9, which is pushed as an alternative rock station, more it or less. Doesn't really, it doesn't sound like pop. I disagree. Uh, oh, yeah, no, I agree. I thought you were going to say it doesn't sound no. like alternative. No. It, but the few songs that I, that you would find on, like, 92, not 92, well, yeah. Somebody that I used great. to know sounds like... Or Z100. But see, it... Yeah. I, don't, I don't know who you used to know, man. What you, find, <laughs> what you find on Z100 is like a different side of them than what you find on, on the alt stations. Yeah, well, they I mean, have like they they have multiple sounds in their music, and I think their pop stuff is going to be on their pop stations, and I think they're well. That's like they did that with Linkin Park for years. Yeah. Linkin Park's heavier rock stuff, like one step closer from their old album, was was on K Rock, whereas their lighter stuff, like in the end, was on Z100. Yeah, and they didn't cross over as much, and it was actually pretty good for them because okay. it became popular I, with a lot of people. We're getting we're getting sidetracked. Clearly we, have a, we, we clearly have a lot to say about this, but I think in closing, we're definitely overdue for a pop discussion, and I've been wanting to talk about pop and even Michael Jackson, the king of pop, for a while, so I think we're coming much closer to that than I thought. Yeah, we will, we will revisit this, not merely on pop, but simply the, the, How the standards by which we judge music, music. as a whole. But, but I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, of course, as always, please email us at crashcarsblog at gmail.com. Comment Com- on the website. Read our reviews. Subscribe our- on iTunes to the podcast. Comment there. Voice your opinions. Please read the articles. And of, course, 
You can yell at us. And if you have any opinions, comments, questions, please post them on the site. I would love to hear from you guys. Basically talk to us, please. Please talk to us. I want... We want... if If you're a pop fan, defend it. If you want us... If you think you have something that'll have us actually changing our tune... Tell us. I think you'll realize by just our Give last few podcasts that there is no opinion here that is permanent, if not challenged. We by would love a to hear someone suggest an album that will fa- fix this. So, as always, and in closing, music is life, and life is good. <laughs>